Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour, he asked Peter. Watch and pray, so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come, and the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. we pray. Father, as we look at this passage together and perhaps feel that it's all very familiar as we come to another Monday Thursday, another Holy Week and another Easter, we pray that you would open our eyes to your word, that we might learn new things of Jesus and be changed. We pray that in your name. Amen. Up until now, Jesus has seemed fearless, fearless in the wilderness at the beginning of his ministry, facing the devil, standing against him, in control as he silenced the raging storm on Lake Galilee, powerful as he healed the sick and silenced demonic forces, and speaking with authority against those who opposed him. For 33 years, the fearless Son of God, seemingly walking towards his purpose and his calling with clarity and confidence, trusting his Father, leaning on his Abba every step of the way. But now he's in a garden, not a serene place of color, tranquility, and rest, but in the darkness where turmoil, anguish, and sorrow overwhelm him to the point of death. This is a garden where Jesus prays like no one has ever prayed, face down before his Father in agony and fear, desperate for God to find another way, and longing for his friends to be alongside him, supporting him, bringing him at least some comfort with their prayers when his world is falling apart. His emotions are raw. His desperation is evident. Jesus faces his fears head on, and they overwhelm him. 
There's nothing stoical about these prayers, nothing polite or tentative. Jesus' agony, Dr. Luke writes, is so evident that his sweat is like drops of blood pushing through the pores of the skin on his brow. And yes, this is a rare but real condition in which um, capillary blood vessels that feed the sweat um, glands rupture and cause them to exude blood. It only happens under conditions of extreme physical or emotional stress, which is exactly what Jesus is facing. Jesus prays with all his heart. He's in anguish and yet knows that unless his father finds another way, a further agony is coming that is even greater, one which he will not be able to bear and one which will bring about his death. Jesus doesn't hold back his pain from his heavenly father. Neither should we. Our God can take all our pain and anguish too. He hears our cries. We don't need to be eloquent or speak sense when we call on him. He listens when we are desperate. He is present when we are weeping. He is there in the sorrow and sadness just as much as he is for our praise and intercession. We, like Jesus, can bring ourselves to him, our true and real selves. We cannot be more real than Jesus was in that lonely night, lonely garden on that Passover night. While his disciples sleep, unaware of the pain of their rabbi and friend, Jesus pleads with his father three times. My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away, unless I drink it, may your will be done. My father, and he prays the third time, saying the same thing. It's impossible to exaggerate the pain of Jesus' experience in that garden. It wasn't that he knew, it wasn't just that he knew crucifixion and death were near. But more than that, he was going to face God-forsakenness. His perfect relationship with his father, his Abba, was going to be severed completely. What once was entirely perfect and loving and beautiful would become broken, undone. The perfect unity of love between father and son would be no longer and instead, Jesus would become forsaken by his father, deserted, abandoned, and left alone in his suffering and pain. You see, Jesus faces a terrible drink that will bring this about. The cup of suffering, of God's wrath. And when he drinks, he will become cut off from God, from his love and presence. And he will instead bear the full weight of God's judgment of the sin of human mankind upon his broken, beaten, and crucified body. This cup is poison. And Jesus has to drink it all, down to the very last dregs. 
No wonder he cries, let there be another way. No wonder he prays like no one has ever prayed. In that garden, on that night in the darkness while his friends sleep, Jesus gets the first bitter taste of what salvation was going to cost. And he pleads with his father to find another way. And his father answers his beloved son. He answers with a no. John Stott wrote that the prayer of Jesus in Gethsemane shows that we can be close to God, live a holy life, pray with faith, earnestness and expectancy, and yet not get what we ask for. It is a profound mystery before which we must bow. That's exactly what Jesus does. He bows before his father in obedience, even when he doesn't get what he asks for. How we rail against being told no. Whether we're a toddler, teenager, or 50-year-old adult, we hate the word no. We're prone to argue, to justify, to persuade, thinking we know best. And so often our pride means we refuse to back down or accept the answer we receive. But Jesus, the perfect, obedient, faithful son of the Father, accepts the no and submits to God as he prays, not as I will, but as you will. May your will be done. How challenging that is for us as we pray repeatedly for all we think we want and need. Sometimes our challenge too is to hear no as the answer and submit ourselves to our Father's will. Of course, God could have changed his plans for Jesus. He could have answered his prayers with yes. But you see, God has the bigger picture in mind. His no is because forsaking Jesus is the only way. What a weighty no that was. Full of sadness and yet full of love and hope, knowing that by turning his back on his son, Jesus' death would be the only way for humankind to be set free from the burden, the power, and the guilt of sin. Paul sums it up in his letter to the Corinthians. He says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus' death was absolutely necessary. And because of it, you and I are no longer forsaken by God, but brought back to him, receiving his love and his forgiveness and life. So no, that cup was not taken away because God's wrath could not be assuaged any other way. God's will must be done. And despite his passionate and persistent plea, Jesus would walk obediently to Golgotha. He would face the soldiers who held the nails that would be driven deep into his hands and feet in only a few hours' time. By laying his anguish at the door of his Abba, he finds strength to step out in obedience, to trust him, and to face the day that is coming. God has the bigger picture in mind every time we pray. 
We find that so hard. I want to know God's plans for me. I want to hear him say yes to my petitions and requests. I want to stop feeling pain when I'm struggling and sad. And I certainly don't want to have to go through difficult times or feel lost and afraid. But God is faithful and true. He doesn't always say yes, but he has good reasons for his no. We are not immune from suffering, but God is no less loving or good, and he is no less listening or kind. The question is, will we trust him? Will we, like Jesus, be obedient to his will, wherever that takes us? When Jesus returns to the disciples for the third time and finds them asleep, he is resolute. His strength is restored. And as Judas and the soldiers arrive to arrest him, he steps out of the gloom in the Garden of Gethsemane and sets his face towards Golgotha. And on, finally, to another beautiful garden, bathed with light and color, where in only a few days' time, his work will be finished and he will rise. Then the whole of heaven will celebrate with joy that new life is come and every human being is invited into the presence of our holy God who lovingly opens his arms and welcomes us in. Amen. Perhaps as we ponder that passage and think what God might be saying to us, we're going to uh, watch a video of a beautiful song of Gethsemane. Surely he has borne our-